pray. Father in heaven, we open your word and trust you that your Holy Spirit, you Holy Spirit, will illuminate this text. It's powerful to consider the way in which you showed Daniel the meaning of this dream, the dream itself. It's powerful that thousands of years later, like your church before us, been fed by these very words. For there's much for us to see, but Lord, the enemy comes at us seeking to distract us, seeking to fill us with pride, seeking to cause us to be distant from you and this truth. But Father, you've given us the means of grace. You've given us everything that we need to understand this passage, to apply this passage to our hearts and minds, to seek to be transformed by the truth that we hear so that your kingdom may continue to grow, the stone becoming the mountain. We are part of you. You are one with us, Christ. And so we ask that you would be honored by the way in which we approach this text and that you would make us different this day for your glory's sake and our great good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to continue this story, the account recorded in Daniel chapter 2, which has to do with the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. As I read, remember that Nebuchadnezzar was so troubled by this dream that he ordered his wise men to tell him what the dream was and then what it meant. And if they couldn't, he would tear them limb to limb. In other words, he would remove their body parts. That's the vicious nature of this king. So Daniel, knowing that only God, the true living God, can do the impossible praise, the Lord reveals to him the dream. He reveals the dream now in its content and in its meaning to Nebuchadnezzar. As I read it, I want you to remember that this was not meant just to be given to Nebuchadnezzar and to Daniel because it's all God's word. It's meant for us right now and it's powerful. Daniel chapter 2, beginning at verse 31 through the end of the chapter 49. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third king, kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, 
because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Every one of us has dreams and dreams are very interesting. Um, sometimes they're just bizarre and sometimes they're terrifying. I have a dream that recurs every three to five months, perhaps. And I don't really know what it's about, except I'm being chased and I can't get away. And when I can't get away in my sleep, I begin to moan and I moan so loud that my wife and often my children hear me as well. It's just like, uh, and it grows until I wake my own self up. And my wife looks at me and says, it's just a dream. It's just a dream. Now she also has a dream that recurs and she knows exactly what it is. She remembers in detail. It has to do with mountain lions, bears, and sharks always coming after her children. It's irrational, but it's real to her. And when she has that dream, I simply touch her, wake her, and say, it's just a dream. It really is just a dream. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I know what that means. I could interpret that for you. And I would actually be really interested in hearing what you have to say. But there's not one of you who could say, this interpretation is certain and sure. Daniel heard from God what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. He knew what troubled the king. And he knew what he had to say to the king, and he says it. But what I really want you to understand as we unpack this is that this dream, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, would come true. 
is coming true, will come true. This is a dream that troubled the king so much that he was willing to have his wise men killed for not being able to do the impossible. This dream, his dream, will come true, is coming true. So how do we look at it? These passages of scripture that move towards prophecy and understanding can often have weird ways of us thinking about them. I'm going to concentrate on what's the clearest understanding of what's before us. And the way I want to do it is I want to begin by focusing on the failure of false religion. Secondly, the fall of earthly empires. And lastly, the firmness of God's kingdom. First, the failure of false religions, of pagan religions. Nebuchadnezzar was so troubled by his dream that he called all of his wise men and he gave them this charge. Tell me my dream and then tell me what it means. In chapter two, verse 10, the Chaldeans said to the king, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. And they were right. There's no way a person could simply know what the king dreamed unless the king told him or unless the true God said what it was. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of the wise men. So they too had this death threat. When they received this threat, we're told that Daniel moves towards his friends and he asked them to pray. Verse 18 of chapter two, it says, he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men. This mystery revealed. I want you to remember that phrase. Those who were merely wise men in the flesh, who were part of a false religion, a pagan religion, had no ability to do the impossible. They will die for their inability to do the impossible. But Daniel turns to God. He turns to the living God. He asks his friends to pray to the living God, asking mercy that this dream would be revealed. And God answers his prayer. Verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel soon is going to be speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, and this is what he says in verse 27. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But, verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. The failure of false religion is very apparent. The limits of what these who made up a religion, who made up gods is very clear. They cannot do what this earthly powerful king is demanding. So Daniel comes on the scene. He turns to God in humility. He turns to God in helplessness. He asks his friends to pray. And the true God, the one and only God, reveals this mystery to Daniel. There is a God 
who reveals mysteries. Nebuchadnezzar is going to say that very thing at the end of this chapter. The failure of false religion is everywhere. There is no religion, no gods that are made up, no laws that have been given according to a false god that will not fail. Every one of them will fail. But our faith is in the living God who has revealed not just the mysteries, but himself by sending his son that we could have eternal life. Next, we're going to look at the fall of earthly empires. This is really important. As we look at all that takes place in this dream, we see that there are four kingdoms. If you've never heard this story, maybe you're a student and you're just hearing about this for the first time as a child, you hear what Daniel says about the image. He says, the image that you dreamed of was mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you and its appearance was frightening because it was. Daniel knows it was because God revealed to Daniel the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed. He speaks about four kingdoms. One is made of gold, silver, bronze, and then iron, and the iron is mixed with clay. We can spend a lot of time trying to unpack what this means. And it's not wrong to do so, but you can get lost from the central message if you try to figure out a timeline that measures exactly what this means. Many commentators do believe that these four kingdoms represent Babylon. We can easily see that because we're told in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head, you are the gold, this is Babylon. But following Babylon, there will be other kingdoms. There is going to be a second kingdom, a third kingdom, and then a fourth. He spends the majority of time speaking about the fourth kingdom, Many commentators believe that it's Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then Rome, because Rome was in power when Christ came on the scene. They may be right. It doesn't really matter because the essence of the text is clear. All earthly kings and kingdoms will fail. All, not just some, all. But there's a small stone, a small stone that's going to be used to crush those kingdoms, every kingdom. And this stone is Jesus Christ. This stone becomes a mountain and the mountain is the kingdom of God. Chapter two, verse 21 in the prayer that he offers to God, he speaks of God's sovereignty he changes times and seasons. Speaking of God, he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. The earthly empires are going to fall and they're going to fall at the hand of God's sovereignty. Not just some, but the word of God tells us all. This is God's work. Ralph Davis has a wonderful, very accessible commentary. He speaks about the transient nature of all worldly kingdoms. Listen to what he says. The transient nature of all worldly authority is one of the central themes of the dream. The gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, they all fall short. They all collapse. In fact, they become like dust that's blown away. 
It reminds us of the fragility of all earthly power. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom will not last, nor will any king or any kingdom other than Christ. Kings and kingdoms, presidents and dictators, democracies, tyrannies, and monarchies come and they go and they enter into the landfill of history. What seems to us an empire ends up being just an episode. This is our history. And this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had is not just for Nebuchadnezzar. It is a picture of the history of redemption of what God is doing as the God who is ultimately in control. Ralph Davis goes on to say, on the whole, history degenerates. So think of creation and think of fall, of the fall of Adam and Eve. On the whole, history degenerates. It carries its own germ of disintegration that becomes increasingly apparent. There is then no progress gene implanted in history's womb that ensures or guarantees some sort of infallible upward movement. In other words, we don't simply get better. The fall of man degenerates. degenerates. Some, he says, may complain that this destroys optimism. Only empty optimism. Only empty optimism. True optimism comes from an indestructible kingdom, not from a defunct but deified historical process. True optimism comes from an indestructible kingdom. And the indestructible kingdom is this small stone. This small stone that's put into the womb of the Virgin Mary, who gives birth to the Christ child, who will walk upon this earth for 33 years, who will live a perfect life against all forms of evil and will never sin. His limbs will be spread out on a cross. He will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you who are in Christ will never have to pray that prayer. He will be placed into a tomb, but he will rise from that. For he cannot be held down by death. And that stone, which crushes all other kingdoms, will grow into this mountain, which is his kingdom, which is the church. So let's talk about the firmness of God's kingdom. Look with me at verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. I'm going to read that one more time. But as I do, here's what I want you to think about. If you're in Christ, this is the certainty of who you are now and who you will be in the future. You are part of a kingdom that can never be destroyed. Listen to what it says. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. 
It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. What's the source of that kingdom? What is that kingdom? The next verse, verse 45. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, it's divine. And that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. If you are in Christ, this is the kingdom that you are a part of. One, it's indestructible. You and I in Christ, part of his victorious kingdom, we cannot be destroyed. Yes, the sight of heaven, most of us will die unless Christ returns first. But you're part of a kingdom that can't be defeated. The gates of hell will not prevail. Secondly, it's a, it's a kingdom that is eternal. It's final. He says, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. At the end of verse 44, it shall stand forever. His kingdom is forever. Third, this kingdom is going to overwhelm all other kings and all other kingdoms. Overwhelm means to be buried underneath a huge mass. It means to receive too much of something. It means to be defeated soundly. All other kings and all other kingdoms will be overwhelmed by the stone that is becoming the mountain. These kings and these kingdoms will be overwhelmed by the weight and glory of God. They will be defeated soundly by this stone. They will receive too much of Jesus. Jesus has a coffin for every empire and every emperor. But there wasn't a coffin for him. Christ was put in the tomb and there he buried death. He overwhelmed death by crushing it, defeating death soundly. Death received too much of Christ. And so for all who are in Christ, he, this stone that becomes the mountain, is our eternity. This dream will come true. This dream is coming true. This dream will be fulfilled. This side of heaven, though, we will be tempted to build our own kingdoms. And the description that Daniel uses, particularly of the fourth kingdom, is so powerful because he speaks of that which is very strong and yet brittle. And throughout history, you watch one kingdom fall after another. And at the beginning, there is this strength that the world takes note of or individuals take note of that then over time, because it's not an eternal kingdom, it becomes confused, loses its way, is distracted. And there come the fractures, the division, and the kingdom is strong and brittle until it's only brittle. Even the side of heaven, the church can look like that. Strong in some parts and brittle in others. You as a person in Christ 
this side of heaven, so, so many of us have such strong parts, and yet that which is brittle. But one day for all who are in Christ, it will only be strength. There will be no more brittleness. There will be no more fractures. So how are we to live? In light of this dream, what are we to take away? It's very, very clear. It's easy to get lost in all the prophecy, but the message is actually very clear. When Nebuchadnezzar hears the dream, Daniel speaks to him in verse 45 at the end of it and says, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. That's bold. Daniel's bold because he knows it's true. He knows because the living God has told him this is what the dream is and this is what the dream means. Daniel moves with a contagious certainty as one of God's people and says, this is what is going to happen in history. This dream is going to come true. How does Nebuchadnezzar respond? The way he responds is the way we should respond, at least in part. Verse 46 says that the king fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Remember what Daniel said, there is a God in heaven that can do this. Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that. He bows down, and so must we. With what you are hearing today, if you're in Christ, you should be bowing down. You should be bowing down to the wonder of this God, who is this little stone that has set this mountain. And if you're in Christ, you're part of that mountain. That stone has crushed the idols of your own making, of your own kingdom, and he's shown you grace. But Nebuchadnezzar does not bow down in full. He acknowledges in his head that this God is God of gods, but he's one of many gods in his understanding. How do we know? Because in the very next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is going to build a statue to himself and demand that all of his people, all the people, worship him. He doesn't get it fully. And so is it true of many who live in this particular part of the country, the Bible Belt. Many acknowledge, like Nebuchadnezzar did, that there's a God, and Jesus is a God of gods. But you're not secure until you rest in him and him alone for all that he is. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. All others are false religions, false gods, false empires. They will all be destroyed and breathed away. The firmness of God's kingdom calls on us to bow down, but it also calls for us to get to work. I think this is really interesting. The way chapter two ends shows us that God intends to use Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to have power and influence in the place that he has placed them in exile in a pagan land. Look with me again at the text. Verse 48, then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, chief prefect, over all the wise men. This man, who was the only one who understood what the dream was 
and the only one who knew how to interpret the dream is now the one who is over the other wise men. God's own is now influencing those who are in power of pagan influence. Daniel asked the king to appoint Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over other affairs, and the king honors that. This side of heaven, in this strong yet brittle world, in this place where you live and work, God wants you to go to work. He wants you to go to work as a woman, as a man, to extend his transforming presence. Ian Duguid, a professor, has written an amazing commentary, and he speaks about the reality of this part of Daniel. Listen to what he says. In the meantime, however, we should be careful not to let this eschatological focus on the coming of God's kingdom take us away from seeking to serve our present community. It is not coincidental that the chapter ends with Daniel and his friends promoted to responsible positions within the Babylonian system. These men didn't isolate themselves from the kingdom of this world as they waited for God to establish his kingdom. Rather, they poured themselves into seeking the welfare of their temporary home in Babylon. This goes right back to Jeremiah 29. This is what we're called to do. Wherever God has placed you, whatever house and whatever block and whatever board or whatever types of work that you're doing, you have the ability to share with people the kingdom that began with this stone that's becoming a mighty mountain. You have that privilege, but there's a danger. And it comes to us falling off one of two sides. Duguid writes, one of the major challenges in the Christian life is keeping these two emphases in balance. Some Christians have their eyes fixed on the return of Christ so intently that they're literally of no earthly use. We therefore need to take seriously our duty to pursue the blessing of the earthly communities in which we find ourselves. We need to ask ourselves two questions. This is incredible. If I were gone, ask yourself this, if I were gone, would anybody outside my immediate family be affected? If our church were to be removed from our community, right where we live, would anybody around us notice and lament the loss? What earthly use are we? The answer to those questions should be this, that the kingdom of Christ, this stone, the king living in you should be so radiant that your kindness, compassion, love, truth-telling should make such a difference wherever you are that if you were taken out, or moved away, people would mourn that as a loss. If this church were somehow placed somewhere else, that this community around us would say, we're deeply grieved that Park City's Presbyterian Church is leaving because they did good for the sake of this city. But here's the warning. On the other hand, some Christians are so busy pursuing programs of earthly transformation for Christ that they've lost sight of the heavenly goal. They are busy polishing the statue instead of looking for the rock. These believers need to be encouraged to remember that whatever improvements we may legitimately make in our society, we are still looking for the establishment of a kingdom which is heavenly and will not be here in fullness until Christ returns. This world is not our home. 
merely a lodging point along the way. Seeking to transform our culture can sometimes become an idolatrous pursuit that takes our eyes off of God. So here's what Satan does. You're already on one side or the other, so fixed on heaven that you're no earthly good, or so consumed with doing good that it's easy to be tempted to make that the goal. Satan wants to create a false dichotomy, and we must be wise to this. We need to ride on those two rails. We need to ride on eyes that are so fixed on the promise of his return, so fixed on the stone, that that stone is going so deep into our hearts that we can't help but do good in the city. What goes deepest to the heart goes widest to the world. It's not one or the other. In fact, if you're not doing the other and seeking good of the city, the gospel's not going deep to your heart. And if you're just simply doing good for the city and not seeking to make that stone and that mountain known, you've probably made an idol out of something that it's not going to tell the world you're around. All of this, these earthly kingdoms are going to fail. Friends, this is such a privilege for us. We, as his people, have the privilege of bowing down to him and getting to work. Lastly, the focus of our lives must be on the stone. It's not just earthly kingdoms like countries, nations, empires that will fall short. They're not the only ones as groups seeking to build their kingdoms. I'm tempted to build my own just as you are. The only way to have that destroyed is by keeping my eyes fixed on the one true king and his kingdom, on the stone and the mountain. But here's what's amazing. You're not looking at the mountain from a distance. We are the mountain. This dream will come true. This dream has come true. This dream is coming true. Do you belong to Christ, the King, and to his kingdom? If yes, bow down today. Leave with profound, contagious certainty that you are part of a kingdom that will never end. If you know nothing of this, and today something in you is stirring and you want to know how to have that certainty, that contagious certainty, then right now, all you need to do is surrender your life to Christ. Bow down to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Recognize him as the Lord that he is. And continue by coming here or somewhere else that preaches the gospel to grow in him. His kingdom his kingdom, his kingdom is forever. Father, as we close, I'm just struck by how many times in my life I've read this story and never really paid enough attention to what it means for us today. God, we bow down to you. You are a king.
We don't deserve you or your kingdom, but for all who are in Christ, this dream has come true. As we sing, Lord, let us do so with hearts that aren't eager to move to some other moment, some other event, some other task, but let us think about the truth that's leaving our lips. Transform us even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.